Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Do we count the beyond, like, point beyond issues, Dan? I probably asked this a few weeks ago, but, you know, I don't know. I I do, but I I also count the Black Cat and Mary Jane issues, which uh, I think are key parts of the story. And that's right, because we're going to be talking about some of those today. So welcome, everybody, to The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man, Black Cat, Mary Jane, on and on and on and on, comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Yeah, but what are we going to be talking about today, Mark? Well, Dan, today on the show, you and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 87, which is Beyond Chapter 13. This issue was written by Jed McKay, with art from Carlos Gomez, colors from Brian Belenza, a cover by Arthur Adams and Alejandro Sanchez Rodriguez, and of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on January 26, 2021. Yeah, sure. Let's keep this really simple, Mark, because I don't think there's a lot to say here. And honestly, I think that's a really good thing. You know, in this issue, Black Cat recruits Captain America to help her train Peter Parker back into fighting form. That training takes on several different forms, including swinging around the city, stopping the Black Cat herself from robbing a jewelry store and a fight between Spidey and Captain America. All the while, Black Cat is incredibly sexy, Captain America spouts inspiring words of wisdom, and Peter redons his paper bag mask and classic animal crop top. All in all, these are some fun Spider-Man antics that see Peter slowly brushing off the cobwebs and getting back into his role as Spider-Man. Meanwhile, Ben is being tested on his memory at Beyond and is found both lacking in Spidey memories and endlessly moldable, 
particularly after we realized he'd forgotten Uncle Ben's famous mantra. And Maxine has confronted Dr. Kafka for her treasonous behavior and threatens her with a bottle of the sins of Norman Osborne. And that's where we leap off on a nice little cliffhanger with Mary Jane and Janine coming into contact with each other after the events of Black Cat and Mary Jane number one. Which is to say, Mark, we're going to talk briefly about the great standalone Black Cat and Mary Jane number one comic. You know, we've been getting this book every single week. It's been nonstop Spider-Man comics. And so I don't think we have the bandwidth to cover the whole issue of Black Cat, Mary Jane. But there's no way we could not talk about that comic. Absolutely. I mean, we've been getting it every week. We got two issues last week. I mean, <laughs> the, you know, no rest for the weary. If you're a Spider-Man fan right now, we're going to we're going to get to 900 before you know it. <laughs> While they also pump the brakes. I mean, a lot of these dot B.E.Y. issues could have been amazing Spider-Man issues. So like they're also in no hurry to get there, which means uh, uh, the way I take it is they wanted to like line it up as the end of whatever the first JRJR arc is so he can end that arc with a bang. And if the preview pages are anything to go by, that might actually be literal. But <laughs> let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man volume five, number 87. You know, the last issue was such a cliffhanger and really kicked things into into high gear for the Beyond story. I think, you know, as much as we loved all the Peter stories in this Beyond run, it, you know, I was I at least was worried that, you know, moving back to Peter would kind of release the gas a bit on Ben's storyline, which had finally gotten moving. And I got to say, Mark, I was like happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this was the perfect way to focus on Peter. But like, you know, at the same time, we, we, we did get some Ben woven in in an effective way to keep that story trucking along. I mean, like, look, look, this is this is how you do comics in this era, especially like with these multiple creative teams and switching off and weekly storytelling like like this was perfect to me. And well, I don't want to say I shouldn't set it up by saying it's perfect because as much as I liked it, I don't have a perfect score for it. But like this is really effective storytelling in terms of how this was put together here. I think this was really well done by Jed McKay and, and Carlos Gomez. I mean, just in terms of tone and focus and, and keeping the plot moving like, you know, like this thing can stand alone and you can kind of just come in and check in on it and know everything that's going on without really having to be too steeped in the mythology of everything that's been happening during beyond. But at the same token, it, it moved the beyond story another step forward in a, in a, in a really effective way. So like, you know, kudos to the creative team on this and to Marvel for getting this issue out the way they did. I, I really enjoyed it. I just wish Marvel got this issue out with the right people credited for it. You know, if you look on that, that title page, it says Zeb Wells wrote this. And to Zeb's credit, he spent like the whole past week on Twitter correcting people that he did not write this story for all the kudos that it was getting. I both feel bad for him and Jed for having to like deal with the editorial mix up there, which Nick Lowe also addressed, you know, that that it was an oversight. And, and that's unfortunate because on a story this good, you know, not everybody's going to do the job to check who it was behind the story. But to back to your point, like to me, this is kind of the platonic ideal of Spider-Man stories, just kind of without a villain. You'd normally get a villain in something like this, but 
Uh, there's so many great Spider-Man stories over the years without a villain, even if that villain is like leukemia or whatever. You know, I just love a story like this that can stand on its own, like you said, and be a part of the ongoing plot. And I feel like oftentimes plot really takes over. And this was just like really pure character. And that's what I loved about it. And I think oftentimes these books are on fast forward to get to the next big splashy idea. And, you know, what I've liked about this book and I like about Jed McKay's various runs on things at Marvel, especially his black hat is how like much he's dialed into character and you know I, I i couldn't ask for a better showcase for what jed mckay does well than this comic well and, and the black hat and mary jane comic that came out the same day i mean if you're jed mckay you had like a really good week absolutely i mean it's funny you know like jed mckay wasn't necessarily a front runner at any point to take over as the full-time writer of this book i don't know if zeb wells was either frankly until he was announced but and and this is to take nothing away from zeb wells because i i look forward to what he's going to do but you know a book like this or the two books frankly like this make me really want to read more jed mckay in this universe right now i know well you know black cat the series seems to kind of come and go and come and go again. I mean, I hope that they kick that book back up again. I know he's been doing Death of Doctor Strange. I I, I have not read that. I'll catch up to, on that on Unlimited. But like, yeah, I mean, this guy, he writes a good Peter Parker and, and, and I think has a, a good balance of how to bring in your main characters, but also your supporting cast. I mean, like this is what this was. It it. it pinballed around but like not in a frenetic way like i just felt like i was just locked in on this comic and and the way the story uh, you know un unfurled page to page there was never a, a moment where i was felt like i was like losing the thread a little bit here and that's 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 you know not not the norm these days in Spider-Man. That's not to disrespect anyone who's done this, but like, you know, this was as good of a single issue of Spider-Man that we've gotten in a really long time, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's funny you, you mentioned about him like getting a run on, on this title, because like if you'd asked me before the Jet announcement, you know, you know, barring like the Donny Cates and the other superstars, you know, to me, Jed was a real top, top of my list, even over Zeb Wells for for taking on this book, you know, I could see him in, in the vein of like a Nick Spencer where Nick Spencer got that superior foes book and proved that he could do something in the world of Spider-Man. I, I think Jed McCabe's black cat is no less definitive. I think that has been one of the most joyous books Marvel's put out recently to, to the credit. Like, you know, you can see that black cat in this issue. You know, I, I feel like, he really brought over his version of Black Cat into this comic and the Black Cat and Mary Jane comic. And, I, you know, I don't think he completely reinvented the character, but I think he's really given her a voice that makes her stand apart. And yes, she's still sexy and that's her thing. But there's so much more nuance to the character as presented by him. And there's just a joy for writing her. Like, I, I think he has the definitive take on the character, if you ask me. Like, it like just seems like the most fully fleshed out version of Black Cat. And having her appear in two comics this week, you know, she was a major bonus for, for those comics. And his Mary Jane, frankly. I really enjoyed reading his Mary Jane in both of these issues. 
And then the fact that you had Felicia teaming up with Captain America of all people, and it, like, and it worked. <laughs> it, it, it like it, it never like you know there was a part of me when I saw this as the concept, thinking, oh, there's no like this is going to be really contrite, and it wasn't. Like you know, like like you said in your in your in your plot summary, Dan. I mean, you had Felicia being Felicia, and you had Cap doing his stoic, inspirational thing, but like they were kind of a good balance in terms of getting Peter back back in you know into into the the groove of things. So I really appreciated that. Do you want to talk? I a also bit? wanted to shout out Carlos Gomez, you know, who we've gotten, you know, off and on in this title, but like this guy, I feel like deserves an award for like most like adaptable. Like he really has been changing his style up even just through the past year, year and a half that we've seen him been doing Spidey comics and books at Marvel. I didn't even recognize his style in this comic, you know, from the previous appearances of him. And that's not to say like he was a slouch before, but like, I thought this book was really attractive looking. I know that there's some like memes going around about like just how sexily drawn black cat is. And I do want to talk about that later on, but I, I thought this was a really fun book. Your characters were very distinct from each other, you know, cap with his big kind of like blocky linebacker look, you know, and Peter with this kind of, nerdy you know college doofus look you know that all really worked for me and i think it was r really a part of him to make something so appealing even if i think that his work for spider-man could use a little more weirdness like anytime spider-man looks like a mass market appealing book it's a little bit off to me i like it to look a little strange i mean i think his style is quite attractive and easy to read why don't we talk a little bit about the humor of this book? Because I think there was, I, I mean, especially on the sight gag front, I mean, there was a bunch of stuff here that, you know, they, they were kind of like sight chuckles, but like they worked. You know, you, you had mentioned it obviously early on um, <laughs> that we saw the return of the the animal midriff uh, or crop top, whatever you want to call it, shirt from the, is it JRJR or is that, did, or had that, no, you're right. It's JRJR and Stern at that point. I'm like trying to remember, was that DeFalco? But no, you're right. It's JRJR and Stern. I guess Peter was also borrowing the I'm not Daredevil shirt from Matt Murdock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. um, and of course, the you know, he, the, the return of Bagman, you know, like the, the paper bag Spider-Man head. I mean, like, you know, all I mean, these are not like deep level jokes, but like the, to me, this was the perfect mix of being reverential in your humor, but also not like making fun of these moments from the past like i mean you know even like the crop top you know like like they could have just like you know why the hell would you ever wear that you know like but it was, wasn't like that like i mean like it, th these were clearly done for the for the for the true ones or the real ones if you will but like at the same time like it, it, it they 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 didn't like i feel insult us for liking those comics and 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 in laughing at those jokes back then you know <laughs> I just like love that in my head canon now, Peter's had the animal crop top just like hanging in his closet all these years. And just is like, you know, when you slide your hangers, you know, maybe not today. I'll wear that eventually at some point. And this was it. This was the this was the moment. Like we finally got back to the to the animal crop top from from the 80s. I, I loved all that. And I love the joke where like he's like trying to get cap on his side. And, you know, Cap's like, well, why can't she just give you back the mask? And he's like, yeah, that's what I've been saying. 
just the the idea that she's kind of being like like kind of vindictive or whatever with him with this thing is so funny. Throwaway gags like that are are very Spider Man to me. So I, I I enjoyed this a lot. It got a lot of chuckles out of me. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a part of me that's like, okay, I mean, like, is is the circumstance here a little contrived in that, like, you know, the way the you know specifically with the bag head, you know, like the way they brought the bag head back was kind of like, well, that's because we can't give you the mask, and it's like, okay, so like you're telling me the the paper bag is the only thing he can wear i mean you know but but you know what like i said it it was it, it was a callback to a great joke at the time who I cares mean, yeah and and you know like if if that's how they're going to bring back baghead then let's 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 bring back baghead i mean like long live baghead <laughs> yeah right i mean like uh, the baghead on its very essence is insane like like mr fantastic couldn't whip up something more than a paper bag for him to wear <laughs> you know the, the whole thing is an insult against peter from the very beginning so shifting over away from peter you know this comic does check in on beyond and i gotta say i was very uh, grateful for that you know normally something like this would feel like an interruption into the flow, but I felt like it was actually also well-paced, which is a hard thing to do, right? We've gotten a lot of writers on this title that really have struggled with bouncing between scenes and tying it all together in a way that like uh, the stories feel like they climaxed, you know, at the same time, so to speak. Uh, I I actually thought that these check-ins were meaningful. Yes, they definitely like turned down the temperature on the Ben story a bit, but like, they also t- have taken us in interesting directions. You know, we've got Maxine, who I think is finally coming across as scary when she's threatening Kafka, especially where she's like, you're just a clone. Like, what rights do you have? And and it's like, okay, that's really messed up. Um, but also, like, if she's willing to do that to Kafka, what is she willing to do to Ben? So uh, I, I actually thought that she finally had some teeth here. Yeah, she she went beyond just like the I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a threatening email as retribution <laughs> for your for your for your poor behavior. And then we got a a I guess an unexpected callback to the Nick Spencer run with with Maxine here. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Dan? Yeah. So I mean, when we were talking about this in the um, Miles Morales issue a few issues back, I think it was issue eighty one. At the end of the issue, Maxine brought this canister out. And at the time, I think we all thought it was the rhizome thing, that like thing that they'd stopped earlier in the issue, this like machine suit the assessor made. And we thought, oh, okay, they're ju- they just took the like uh, the suit from that issue and now they're going to deploy that later. But here it's like very clearly not that. And it's actually the sins of Norman Osborn from the you know last remains or arc right where norman is clear cleansed of his sins so um we know we have the goblin queen coming up so we have to imagine that that is in some way related to you know how that character will be created i don't know i mean as as eager as i am to get past the nick spencer stuff i'm also like okay cool this isn't happening in a vacuum nobody's forgetting that stuff and maybe we'll actually get a follow up on that engagement ring at some point down the line. <laughs> so long as we don't get a follow up on like another lost Stacy twin dressed up as Kindred, then I'm okay with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I never want to see Kindred again. But my understanding is they both died at the end of that story, and so did my interest in that character. But what about what's going on with Ben? Yeah, so you know Ben, he's you know there as you mentioned in the in the plot summary. I mean they're testing his. His memory, you know, they're showing him 
visuals of different enemies and, and, you know, he's kind of running through it. But what we're finding is his Spider-Man memories have gone kaput, including like his Uncle Ben moments and lessons. It's interesting, you know, like (laughs) when this all started and when I I should say before this all started, actually, you know, like I, 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 in, you know, we can go to the podcast tape as as proof. I was kind of this way in that about like, oh, do we need another like Ben focused thing in 2021, 22 at this point? It's not even that they've done anything that revolutionary with the character so far. We kind of talked a little bit about this in our last episode, like this idea of like a blank slate Ben and what does this mean? And I don't know, like it leaves me a little concerned based on this issue because let's yes i think like if we can make ben his his own person and and kind of you know maybe separate him more from peter and and even like you know his characterization from the 90s i I, i'm all for it but like i don't know like I, i i'm starting to get like kind of flashbacks to what we saw during like the clone conspiracy in terms of like are we just gonna use this blank slate and this lack of of responsibility and, and Uncle Ben's lessons as a, a, a means to just totally throw Ben to the dark side and make him a caricature of, of himself. So I don't know. I mean, like, do you think I'm overreading this a little bit or do you, do you share in those concerns? You know, I share in those concerns if ultimately that's the direction they go in. Like, I don't want to read another Scarlet Spider or Ben Riley Scarlet Spider comic about like, the the all the power none of the responsibility i feel like that is the go-to cliche take on how to write a spider-man book that's not starring peter parker i'm okay with reading a spider-man book with another version of peter parker with some different baggage associated with it you know but i can i'm waiting to see what they do with it i could very well see like like they're clearly going to have these two guys go up against each other and i could see peter instilling that lesson in him we got that tease in timeless number one of uh ben riley on the west coast in in la i'm i'm curious to see what that is i imagine it's the series we're ultimately going to get um i also reread that issue and there's a there's a red-haired female in a spider-man costume it looks like mary jane in a spider-man costume i don't know what that is either so like i think we're ultimately going to get ben leaving new york and going west if it's the version of him we've gotten before where it's like an edgy character. I don't really know how cool on that. I like how excited I would be about that. But like, say for example, if we got, you know, JMD to write it, like he's doing the flashback five issue Ben Riley series and they reboot that and give him his own Ben Riley series on the West coast. I'd be a hundred percent down for that right now. Yes. I, I, I feel your fears. I don't know that I want I'm like really dreading it because I don't quite know if we're going to go there. It's it's but premature. If they do go that way, yes, I am worried. It's premature to, to I think to to conclude that's where they're going, but it's it's I just want to kind of raise the flag now in case they do inevitably go in that direction because it's just like for me it's like okay, why why bring this character back to go down that road again, you know? Like let's like I, I just I guess what I'm saying is like I, I really hope that they they do right by the you know, they brought the character back to do right by him ultimately. And by right doesn't necessarily mean good, evil or in between. It's just, you know, like to, to, to give him an interesting, unique arc to this all. I mean, like, you know, and you're right. I mean, JMD, you know, I think would would certainly be an ideal person in my mind to do that. I mean, like, you know. 
Lost Years is not just a great Ben Riley story. It's a great Spider-Man story. So, you know, like, <laughs> like it, we put it on our essentials. Episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you know, anyone should just go back and read that if they want to feel like a get like a definitive characterization of Ben Riley, in my opinion. Do you want to do we want to talk a little bit about the slack, Dan? Yeah, let's do it. Tell me a little bit about the slack, Mark. Well, hundreds of listeners like you, Dan, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, Mark is right. I do hang out in the Slack all the time. Um, This week, we've been all over the place, but what's been fun is, you know, some of us are rereading Ultimate Spider-Man for the first time. And it's just become kind of a gush fest on how much we all love Ultimate Spider-Man and that interpretation and how it kind of, you know, rejiggered things. And Mark, everybody's saying they're so excited for us to eventually cover that series on the show. And I just want to pump the brakes a little bit. But yes, we will get there at some point. (laughs) That will be fun to talk about Ultimate Spider-Man. But if you can't wait for then, why not come on to the Slack and... Talk to us about your love of Ultimate Spider-Man there. Uh, You can just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And uh, once you're there, you know, you can tell us what you thought about this episode you're listening to right now. I love hearing from from fans in real time. So uh, come on and join our Slack. Yeah, it's funny. We're, we're, We're in 1985, more or less, Dan, in terms of where we are in our episodic show and they're talking about something that's happened that started in the year 2000. I guess my question is: Does the love affair last until the Spider-Man Wolverine Freaky Friday uh, two-parter, Dan, or or, <laughs> or or has has the slack not gotten to that one yet? I well, I actually well, well, like that story, but I know well, many. Well, do Mark, not. let me um let me surprise you with something that's actually going to make the transition back to this issue because I do have a, a way of connecting these. Is that if you don't remember? Those issues open with Bendis and a member of editorial like fighting about the quality of the issues and Bendis saying, don't blame me. This wasn't my idea. Do you remember whose idea it was to do a Freaky Friday story in those issues? I do not. Why? Who 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 is behind it, Dan? It's Nick Lowe. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> current spider-man editor so moving on you know speaking of editing there's a bunch of jokes in both this issue and the black cat spider-man black cat mary jane issue that like lean heavily into like the sexuality of peter's world and and these characters mary jane black cat not to mention how carlos gomez draws felicia throughout issue 87 and you know i i wanted to bring this up because like okay we get the hilarious line where black cat calls Mary Jane out about her dump truck ass. Mark is drinking water. Well, well I'm reading that I was waiting for a spit take. <laughs> I knew it was coming though. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wanted to bring this up uh, for a number of reasons. One, you know, I think like we, we've gotten over the years, like kind of like the implied sexuality in these books. I mean, there's like the Mary Jane, do you take one or two lumps of, of sugar in your tea or the like, I've got like an idea of something I can do with my mouth. That'll make you happy. Like there's been a lot of like really weird things over the years that like 
go right up to the line and don't like I would say are almost like across the line in what they imply rather than what they show. But, you know, JMS had some tasteful stuff. At this point, complaining about Felicia being a sexualized character is like worthless because that's like 90% of like how she's been depicted and, you know, that has escalated over the years. And I I dare say this is perhaps one of the most sexualized uh, depictions of her short of her bathing in milk while cats drink the milk out of the tub (laughs) and her breasts float in the milk. I don't know. Like to me, dump truck ass kind of caught me off guard. And like some of the other like implications in this book as like moving it maybe out of the realm of like PG 13. And I'm, I'm in no way a like guy who's keen on censorship, but I also think about like Spider-Man is like the book you buy for everybody and young people. And is this an indication that like, look, these books really aren't for kids anymore? You know, it's, it's so hard to say, Dan. I mean, like, cause I think like the, the scale is just being moved all over the place. And not that, 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 that these are necessarily quote unquote kid appropriate media either. But like, I think of something like Archer or Rick and Morty or something. And it's just like, you know, these are, these are shows that, you know, I think, like my son will quote Rick and Morty stuff. And I'm just like, Oh man, like my 10 year old, I'm just like, you know, I, I, I you know, I, so it's just so hard to say. I mean, like, you know, like there's a part of me that's like, I totally hear you. And, and as a parent, like, you know, not again, I'm not looking for censorship, but like, do you want to, you know, should, should, should something like a Spider-Man comic be an area where kids are going to find something like that potentially. But then it's like, they're finding it everywhere anyway. So like, what difference does it make anymore? <laughs> I mean, that kind of nihilistic like attitude about it. So, and I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it Guggenheim? Someone, they were either on our show or maybe it was an interview for when I was writing my book, Dan, I can't, it all blurs together. But like, you know, the question of like Felicia, especially during Brand New Day when, I mean, I felt like they really kind of pushed the envelope with her and Spider-Man during Brand New Day because, hey, they're single. You know, there's no, you know, and and the person said, well, writing sexy Felicia's fun. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I get it. If you're the, if you're one of the creators here and, you know, it's just fun to, to, to put her out there like this and, you know, put her and Mary Jane together and, you know, you can really have fun with it in terms of like Peter's perspective. But, you know, we have these books and, you know, they're supposed to be like all ages appropriate. Like, you know, is this necessarily the kind of jokes we need to be going to? I don't know. I mean, like, I like, can we can we be a little more subtle about it? Maybe like, you know, like that might be more challenging to do as a creator. But, you know, that way you can get your joke in. But, you know, be subtle. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's I guess that's my two cents on this topic. <laughs> available Alan Shurstel reached out to me about this and like he was like you know I hope you know it'd be cool if you guys could bring a female critic onto the show to talk about it because I've seen a lot of female comic critics praising these issues and I said you know like if I knew those people I totally would bring them on and maybe I need to seek them out because it is interesting to me like because I I know at the same time we want to move past female characters being depicted as only TNA and there's no way you can read this book and not see that Felicia is like almost entirely just on display as TNA in, in this issue. And, and, and yet like 
is she a liberated woman? And, and, and that's what we're praising, you know, to me, these books always feel very uneven in terms of how women are showcased, you know, for every Anna Maria Marconi, who is like, you know, shown off for her intellect and, and headstrong nature, you've got 10 that are just there because they've got their boobs and butt hanging out. But I think from a, from a female empowerment, you know, perspective, I mean, like, Felicia's driving the action here in, in 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 a very independent way. I mean, you know what I mean. Like she's no, you know, and you know, hell, like the 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 cover of of Mary Jane Blackcat. It's you know, do you see any damsels in distress? No, not you know, not a one, Hardy. You know what I mean? Like it's it's and and that's not like I think it's not just a catchphrase. I mean, like the 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 women in both of the comics that we're alluding to today, while yes, visually they're sexualized, but in terms of how they impact the action of the books, I think that it's actually very liberating and inspiring, you know, like they're not just sitting there being, being, you know, uh, a bait for, for the male villains or anything like that. So, you know, they're not a honey trap. So I don't know. It, 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 it's, it, it goes both ways, I guess. I, I just, I guess I think about like, what would these characters look like if they were empowered visually as well like like if if a woman dis- designed her most empowered version of herself in a, like a, a cat suit which uh, maybe there is no version of that as i'm saying it like would it look like felicia hardy i don't know but like you know i get that that's part of felicia's character she likes to be the center of male attention and although now she's been in jed mckay's run she's come out as bisexual it's something I wanted to flag because like I, my opinion on it is always evolving and I don't know whether I'm moving forwards or backwards at any given time. I just can kind of express my feeling about it, which is like, you know, I, I, I announced that I'm having a child and it's like, I look forward to reading Spider-Man comics with my son and like, obviously I don't think I would throw him right into this part of the Spider-Man <laughs> journey. You know, is this is this the version of that character that I would want to ex, uh, expose him to? I don't know. Maybe he's not the audience anymore. He doesn't even exist at this point. The fic, the the eventual future version of my son. Now I'm getting all like high and mighty because maybe I'm getting this parent brain. Mark, stop me. Like me become a parent is going to ruin this show. No, 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 no. But let's talk a little. Let's change gears a little bit. And I I just wanted to I mean, it's not a this is not a huge talking point here, but kind of as a capper on Peter's story here, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the that good old Peter Parker perseverance. And that is a lot of alliteration there. It's so funny, like this, this, the, 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 that Spider-Man spirit kind of sometimes comes in unexpected ways when it comes to the comics. I, you know, we, we, we have so many great stories of him, you know, lifting tons of steel or fighting the juggernaut against all odds. And, you know, sometimes when they go that route, it feels a little cliched because of the greatness that has preceded it in terms of stories about that. When we kind of started on this path here with Peter and beyond where it was like, well, you know, now, you know, since he's been out of commission for so long, he kind of has to rebuild himself. A part of me was kind of like, all right, well, you know, like they're going to try to kind of, you know, emptily inspire me with, with Peter again, and I'm not going to feel it. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I was feeling it here. Like, you know, like he, yeah, especially in that, that last sequence when it was like Peter against Cap and Cap is, you know, stop 
stop pulling your punches and and you know like you you can't get away with that you know you can't get away with that with somebody like me and and peter is struggling but like you know at the at the, at the end of the day he's like but i'm going to get it back cuz that's what i do you know like i'm i'm spider-man and and it's like you know it kind of brought up that scene in no way home where you know the 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 the, the spider characters all were like it's what we do and it's like, yeah, you know, like it, it, I, I just I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for like driving that home that like Peter at the end of the day, you know, yes, it's it's with great power must also come great responsibility. But the fact of the matter is he is just a a, a stubborn goat who just is willing to do whatever it takes to 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 be the hero. And and, you know, that above all is what inspires me about the character. And I'm glad that we got to see it here. I mean, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that here or if that's just just a a Mark specific rant. (laughs) No, I agree with all of that. You know, what really pleased me about this arc is, you know, you have kind of clear measurements for his improvement. Like I love the bit about you're swinging like Eddie Brock, right? It has, there's no grace to it. And I thought that was really cool. And you know, there's a very cheap version of this comic where he's just better by the end of the comic and he's like ready to get up and go fighting. But the better note was having a non victory at the end, which is like, we'll just get up and try again in that really nice silhouette illustration. And you said no way home. It reminds me of into the spider verse. The Spider-Man keeps getting up. That was, I'm sure inspired in some way by either of those two movies or countless Spider-Man comics, but that's a Spider-Man comic to me is like, there is no clean victory at the end. And yet it's the end of this, this mini arc, right? Which is him trying his hardest to, to, to get back into, into shape. And I, I I love that about it too. I I thought that was really nice. You know, and it it is almost a bit of a counter to how they've been presenting Ben Riley, who is just kind of asserting himself as Spider-Man from the beginning of beyond. And I'm sure those are meant to be presented as contrast, even though I don't necessarily agree with the depiction of Ben Riley. but we've discussed that before. So let's talk about this black hat and Mary Jane issue because it like, you know, we can go over it very, very briefly. Did you, first of all, did you read Jed McKay's black hat? I did. I did. I, 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 you know, was fortunate where you know when I was sick sick with COVID over the holidays, I I did a lot of uh, catch up reading on on comics, and I have been pulling Black Cat. Was able to use that as an opportunity to get fully caught up on that, and and it's it was a lot of fun, and and I was looking forward to this issue even before I I started reading it because again what Judd did with Black Cat in in that series, but also because I was just curious how he would write Mary Jane, and you know you. you Obviously, the Beyond Arc has kind of set up these two characters that, that, you know, that their stories would cross at some point. But I was really surprised in a good way by the execution of this, because like, you know, I I, I felt like it was a, a good black cat level caper the way that Jet had been writing that in that in that in her solo series but like the way that they wove in Mary Jane it was you know they were unlikely allies but not like reluctant allies and and I I appreciated that because it could have been you know they could have easily had made them reluctant allies and I think it would have not worked for me does that make sense to you 
Absolutely. I enjoyed all the capers, even if I don't necessarily believe that MJ would be comfortable running down the side of a building. But the thing that like cinched this issue for me was the conversation between them at the end of the story where they kind of assess their roles in Peter's life. And yes, it won't pass the Bechdel test, but it was a really great scene akin to the one that Nick Spencer wrote when he reintroduced you know, Felicia back into Peter's life in his run. I thought this was a really wonderful scene that like seeing MJ actually be supportive of Felicia is very against character, but the way Jed wrote it was very in character and you can see this kind of bond developing there, you know, in terms of like MJ interacting with characters this week, her being supportive of Felicia was not more baffling to me than her knowing who Janine was. Because I, I don't have any remem- memory that those two know who each other are. But like, I, I thought this scene was just beautifully written. I, it, it Was that a standout to you as well? Oh, 100%. I mean, like, you know, this idea of the good girl and the bad girl. And it's it's and again, like similar to what I was talking about with the humor in the, the Amazing Spider-Man issue. Like this, this is another example of, of Jed McKay. I feel like being reverential to the history of the characters, but also not like poking holes at it. Like, you know, like, cause it's, it's, it's like, you know, I, I loved when MJ was like, you know, imagine living up to a dead girl, meaning Gwen. And it's like, yeah, I mean, like you go back to those Ramita comics and Gwen is like this, uh, this pillared ideal woman in Peter's life. And MJ is, you know, go-go dancing at the clubs and and stringing Harry Osborne along. I mean, those those CGC, the, the, the drug, not CGC, the, the drug issues with the comic book authority. I mean, like MJ is just like, you know, deplorably written. <laughs> like, you know, she's like, she's the scum of the earth in those books in terms of how she treats Harry and how she goes like right back to Peter because she thinks Gwen's out of the picture. It's, it's just so interesting to see you know, again, the perspectives of the two characters and no one, f- I don't feel anyone is betraying themselves in, in what they say in those scenes. And and I, I just really, yeah, you're right. It's not the, the, the Bechdel test, but I feel like at the same time, these characters are very true to themselves and, and, and very authentic and very sincere. And, and I don't, I don't know how you walk away from this comic not loving either one of these these characters in terms of like just wanting to see more of their story. It's just amazing we haven't gotten this conversation between the two of them two decades ago. You know, like it feels like a conversation that we should have had a long time ago. And, you know, I'm just very pleased that how it was handled here. I mean, look, if you didn't pick that up because it's not an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which I imagine is true for many of our listeners you know, go pick it up. I think that's a kind of core chapter in this story. If you were to ask me and, you know, even beyond its significance to the story, it's just a ton of fun. Like I I had a smile on my face the whole time I was reading that book. I mean, Mark, it was good to just pick up some Spidey comics this week and have a great time with them. I mean, between this and, you know, devil's reign and, and all of that stuff. I mean, it's been a lot of fun to read comics the past few weeks. And we got another Zeb Wells issues coming up, coming up next. I mean, I think we're on a good roll here with uh, Spider-Man comics. Absolutely, Dan. All right. So why don't why don't we give uh, this one a grade? I mean, we, we're just grading amazing, right? You know, Black Cat. Yeah, Mary let's Jane, just grade you know. amazing. Yeah. 
All right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go A minus and and let me. It's a high A minus. Like I I wanted to go A, but kind of like what you alluded to earlier when you mentioned like the the platonic ideal of the comic. Like you know maybe if this had like a a villain fight or something like that, it would have it would be an easy A for me. But like because it's still missing a couple of core elements, I I, I can't go full. You know like it's not that a is a perfect score but it's a near perfect score but it's a high a minus it's a you know <laughs> is that am i am i overselling i don't know <laughs> no no i'm i'm right there with you high a minus for me as well i think it's that it is so slight it is what like doesn't push it all the way up there to me like an a plus is like something that like delivers on plot and character in a in a big way right you know and those type of issues only come around Every so often, you know, I, I think about like superior Spider-Man number nine, you know, which is like high emotion, high plot. This was really, really fun. I'm glad it doesn't have a lot of plot, but it's not one that I'm like, this is the peak of Spider-Man. Like in all, honestly, all Spider-Man comics, I think should like meet this threshold because I think there were runs where this was the threshold of a normal Spider-Man comic. I think that's a fair point for sure. I think we our our, our last season kind of touched upon that. Issues <laughs> that were like that. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. So great. A minuses from both of us, which I think has become standard over the years that you and I agree more often than not. Yeah, um, yeah but, as long as uh, we're not yeah. as, as long as we're not talking TV or movies, Dan, we tend to agree. <laughs> oh, and I, I think if we talked in the depth that we talk about TV or, or about comics, we would probably agree more than not on yeah, TV and movies. That's a fair point. You've said that before and I I, I do agree with that. So one hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, great. If you uh, find anything that Mark and I do entertaining and valuable, whether you agree or disagree with our takes, you know, it'd be great if you considered supporting us. Uh, You know, the best way you can do so is just by telling people about our show. I mean, it's in the wake of No Way Home. Everybody wants more Spider-Man content in their lives. And, you know, Mark and I are are sitting right here, ready to capitalize on that in whatever way. And I don't mean that like in a money way. I mean, like, we want to spread the joy of comics to people like we love Spider-Man and our show is really based on that. So if you could tell people about our show, that would be great. You know, look, we got to keep the lights on too. And we get a lot going on with the show every week. So if you want to help support us continuing what we do, why not consider becoming a member on our Patreon? Yeah, Dan, we can only bring all of you this content with the support of our Patreon members. Uh, And we owe the show's success to every single one of them. Uh, We're constantly making exclusive content for our members too, Dan, right? Yeah, all the time. You know, uh, we have like new artwork from Nick Cagnetti coming in. We are doing reviews like this. And just for $3.99, the price of a new comic, you can sign up for a subscription to our Patreon content And you'll show up in your podcast feed every week when we do it. That way you don't have to wait to hear our Patreon exclusive review podcasts like this one that we do on Amazing Spider-Man the same week that they, you know, come out, right? You don't have to wait those three months for it to show up in our feed. And you can join us on our live streams of it and see the video version while we record it live and chat with other fans in the comments. I mean, what could be more fun than that? 
Yeah, Dan, no doubt. Uh, also, if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from Spider-Man artists, uh, which is commissioned exclusively for our members. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti. Dan, you just referred to that. And that's for all of our patrons to enjoy. Mark, I hear you have like a, like a bid on a new piece of artwork for our supporters coming down the pike. Do you want to tell people about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't know how many of you out there are familiar with the work of Mike Fife. He uh, he was on the he was actually the writer of what was it? The Ultimates for a while. The all new Ultimates. The all new Ultimates. But, you know, he he's his his claim to fame is he his his indie comic uh, Copra. He's also done some stuff for DC. I mean, he's he's his art is fantastic. I mean, I, I recommend following Fife uh, Instagram. He's actually an old friend. He he worked with my wife way back in another lifetime. At one point in my life, hooked me up with some really good comics. Uh, we, we can talk about that some other day, uh, about the legalities of how I acquired them. <laughs> but uh, the fact of the matter is, Fife's a great guy and. Through his Patreon, he will do commissions for people. And after years and years of me, tell him, tell him, Mike, hey, man, we want your art on our show. How do we make this happen? We're going to make it happen. So it's going to take a while. He, he, he probably won't get to doing the commission until the end of this calendar year. But be on the lookout, people. We're going to be doing a FIFA commission. Uh, and it's going to tie in great to our next season, which is, of course, going to be focused a lot on the DeFalco Friends run and the symbiote and the birth of Venom and all that. So, you know, be on the lookout, everyone. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. I love his artwork. It's so quirky and unique. And I know he's going to give us, you know, kind of his own definitive take on the characters we've asked him to do. And, you know, I'm still crossing my fingers, Mark, that we get like a Spider-Man grand design book done by him. But, you know, I know he's a busy dude with Copra and that book get recently getting picked up by Image. So he's just a cool creator to to kind of follow. We'll have other announcements about other artwork coming soon. That's the one that we're, we're making you get excited about, or we hope you're excited about, rather. You know, we do know that this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too. So we appreciate anyone who shows who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But, you know, if you do have the means, you know, we put out a lot of awesome content on the Patreon. Just go over there, check it out. Even if you don't sign up, at least familiarize yourself with it, because if you do sign up, these are the things that help us continue to do the show. Lastly, I, I can't end the show without thanking all the members who already make the show possible. All right, Dan. But unfortunately, it is that time, which means it's time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. So, Mark, until you admit that you like big butts and you cannot lie, what's our motto? Oh, that and your dump truck ass, Dan. That, that <laughs> motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.